James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 today. I just want to set some things up before we read from it. Words matter. Now, I don't know if you'll think back on this or can remember this, but back in our um, Ecclesiastes study, I used an illustration about the most serious insult that I can remember from being a child uh, on the playground. It was two words. If you know, yeah, if you know, if, if, if you know those words, you know where I'm headed. But if you use these words, man, you were asking for trouble. You knew something was going to happen in return. And if, if you heard those words, if somebody spoke those words to you, you knew you could not just do nothing. Those two words were your mama. I don't know why they carry so much weight. But man, they carry some weight. They started more fights in my life. I've not always been the fine, upstanding citizen you see before you today. They cause a lot of trouble. I was just defending her. So, words matter. Words matter. So watch your mouth. Right? That's the point we're going to be getting at today. James chapter 3, verse 1 through 12. Let's read it. We'll pray. And then we'll study. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Wouldn't that be nice? Able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of, repti- bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison with it. We bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Watch your mouth, that's what he's saying. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray. Father, help us. Sanctify us. Grow us. May the words of our mouth be pleasing to you. Would you shape us today by your word? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Words matter. I I can remember mom teaching us when I was growing up. If you don't have anything to say, or anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, right? That's right. And on at least one occasion, I can't remember more than that, but probably I blocked it all out. On at least one occasion, I can remember having my mouth washed out because I didn't heed her 
advice. That's probably child abuse today. It wasn't then, so she's safe. <laughs> I, I, I still have an aversion to the taste of Irish Spring. <laughs> it's not good. Won't use it in my house because uh, it tastes so bad. Words matter, so watch your mouth. When my two sons, Cameron and Tristan, were growing up, I used to use a lot of little phrases to try to continue to teach lessons, and everything was an object lesson. I got made, up, made fun of by them for that. Life lessons 101 uh, was what they used to say sometimes. And one of those phrases, as many of you know, is suck it up, sissy. Like that was, that was a motto that we used. Another was say what you mean and mean what you say. Don't just flippantly use words. Don't just start talking and then tell ah, that's not what I meant. Well, then say what you mean and mean what you say. I wanted them to know that words matter. So watch your mouth. Yesterday, I mentioned this text and the topic of the sermon in front of my sister. And immediately, she starts quoting to me. And if you know my sister, this might surprise you. But she starts quoting to me Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates. Yes, seven that are an abomination to him. You know what they are? Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that de- devises wicked plans, feet that make haste and run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who shows discord or sows discord among brothers. That was a passage that my mom used to make us memorize when we were growing up. And it stuck with my sister all these years. It was interesting to me that it came to her mind immediately when I started talking about James and the and the tongue, the evil that comes from the tongue. But then I paid attention to it, and it shouldn't surprise me. Three out of the seven things deal with our words. A lying tongue, a false witness, and one who sows discord among brothers. How do you sow discord among brothers except spread a bunch of junk with your Words matter, not just to us, but to God. So watch your mouth. This is what James is getting at. As, as the, the reason he's writing this is to call Christians to watch what they say. Now, before we jump in and really study it, I want to remind you the context so you can see just how big a part this plays in his letter. Remember, he's assuming the gospel. James is not being evangelistic in this letter. He is not seeking to see people saved. He assumes that he is writing to people who have been saved. He is not preaching about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is writing to people who he assumes, who he is already thinking, have believed that Jesus died in their place for their sin, was buried, and on the third day rose from the grave, giving us the hope of eternal life. That's what he believes about these people. And so now he is writing to these people so that what they profess in their faith will be practiced in their life. He is working against the idea of anyone being able to stand as a cultural Christian just simply because they said it. He wants people to put their faith to action, to really demonstrate their faith, not just by what they say, but also by what they do. And just before Easter, we took three weeks to study the emphasis of this faith, or studied this faith, and we compared and contrasted dead faith and saving faith and saw the difference. 
And the emphasis that we saw all three of those weeks as we broke it out over the course of those three weeks is that saving faith works and faith without works is dead. That was James' point. Now, I'm not going to re-preach those. We don't have time for that. But you're welcome to go back and listen to them. They should be on the website. Uh, listen, read his words, understand what he's saying, but, but recognize this. As he comes to this place, he isn't only concerned with what we do. He is concerned just as much with what we say. Saving faith produces righteous works in you. And saving faith produces righteous words from you. Both of these expressions of what's going on inside of us. Now, this passage in chapter 3 is 12 verses long. It's the longest discussion about words that, that come out of our mouths in, in all of his letter. But, but make no mistake, he emphasizes this all the way through. Let me just show you James 1.19. I, I don't think I put the verse on the screen. Maybe I did. If not, flip over in your Bible just a couple of, couple of verses and you'll see James 1.19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone... Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. Oh, man, he cares about what we say and when we say it, how we say it. James 1.26, the end of chapter 1. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So if you run around just spitting venom with your mouth, Your religion is worthless. That's pretty big. James 2.14 What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith say him? Can a spoken faith, the word that you just profess, a, a, a faith that you just say you have, if it's not followed by works, can that faith save him? Is that faith true or are you speaking Lies. He focuses intently here in chapter 3 on on the words that that come from us. And he will call out the words we use again in chapters 4 and 5. Every chapter. Over and over and over. James makes reference to our speech. Words matter. James knows it. So he wants you to watch your mouth. And he's writing this. Let me just qualify this before we go any further. He's writing this to Christians. If you're not a Christian and you are sitting here listening to me and you're going to try to drum it up within yourself to watch your mouth, to use your words, to prove something about yourself that isn't true, it's never going to happen. We'll deal with that more in just a little bit. No one can tame the tongue. I don't want you to change the way you speak for me. In fact, it really bothers me when I step up to somebody and they're dropping F-bombs and just, just speaking freely. They don't care what anybody thinks. And then they find I'm a pastor and all of a sudden they're, they, they change. It drives me absolutely nuts. That doesn't mean I want to hear you cussing. That's not what I'm going for. But to try to present some image to me that's fake that's false is absolutely ridiculous doesn't do any good 
What I want you to do, if you're not a Christian here today, is believe in my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's the only way to know salvation. But if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, this has direct application in your life. It is something you are duty-bound by your faith to obey. Watch your mouth. As we practice, Christian, as we practice our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, our words matter as much as our works. So watch your mouth. In the exact same way that James is commanding people to act in a certain way because of their faith. Because of what they profess to be true. He calls believers to speak in the same way with the accordance in that, of that faith. That's what this, that's what this pointing out. That's what he's, he's getting to. In fact, I think if you pay attention to the way he says it through the whole letter, you can deduce, you can come up with and, and see that words are some of the good works he expects to be produced by your faith. Words aren't just separate to themselves. We're going to deal with them separately today. But if your good works are not expressed by good words, then you might be fooling yourself. That's what he's pointing out. That's what he's getting at. And let me just show you an example of that. We go back to 126 and he puts the, the, the importance of if a man does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure... So right next to this worthless religion of an unbridled tongue, he puts religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So it's a life of holiness and a life of love towards others and a life where your language is expressed in such a way that it is a bridled tongue. See, these good words that we're calling for, are in part the good works of faith that James calls out. Well, we're going to keep them separate today for the purpose of just studying it and looking at it and trying to understand exactly what he's saying. So, so as you think about this, as we practice our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, our words matter as much as our works. So watch your mouth. Now let's look at the passage and see how he makes this point. Beginning in verse 1 and 2. He starts off with a warning. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. He starts off with this warning to to the, the Christians. He says, not many of you should look to teach. And he gives us two reasons. The first reason James gives us is that teachers are judged more strictly. They're held to a higher standard. Now, this certainly happens on a humanistic level. I mean, on a, on a horizontal level, if you will, from person to person. How, how many times have you judged or heard someone judge or participated in the judging of a God-honoring teacher simply because he didn't say something as precisely as you would have liked or because he differs on a point of doctrine to you? This has struck me as I've been reading this letter. I'm, I'm, I've been guilty of this. I'm not suggesting there's not people we should call out for heresy. There's a place for, 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 for standing for truth in the, in the kingdom. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. But if you hear me do that, if you hear me stand, a God-honoring teacher, a, a teacher who's given his life, who's been used of the Lord, 
to honor the Lord by preaching and teaching His Word. If you hear me speaking against them and can demonstrate to me, call me on it. Call me on it. But I'm telling you right now, I'm going to call you on it. This has no place among God's people. But I don't think James is concerned with our judgment. I, I, I made a point. I don't, I don't think that that's his point here, though. He's not talking about being judged by men. In fact, I don't think James is concerned by the judgment we offer anyway, except that it's us using our tongues to spew venom. He, he is talking about a judgment by God. James is suggesting that you will be judged more strictly. You will be judged more uh, at a higher standard if you stand to teach God's people. In doing this, he's guarding the church against immature teachers. And he's warning those that would seek to be teachers, don't rush into it. Don't rush into it. Because faith isn't only judged by your works. It's also, produced, it's, it's also judged by your words. Don't rush into it. Don't jump into teaching just because it looks good or seems like a lot of fun or because people pat you on the back. It gives you some accolades. It makes you look good in front of your friends. There's greater judgment. But that's not the only reason. In fact, I don't even think it's the primary reason. I, I think James uses a specific example here at the beginning of this chapter to, to show us a, an application so that he can begin to teach and introduce a bigger and more universal problem within the church. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. We all sin with our words. See, it seems that James' point doesn't seem to be so much about just who's teaching, but how we are all sinful. And the reality is this, that if you're still sinning with your body... And this is what his point is. He seems to, seems to draw out and point out the, that the tongue is kind of the last frontier. If you're still sinning in your actions, if your desires are still re, 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 revealing sin in your heart, if your activity is real, still revealing uh, sin in your flesh, then you can be certain that there will still be sin in your words. So why in the world would we want to stand and do something which already is going to apply or, or, or apply a greater judgment to us. Why would we step in and begin to use words when we know we can't control our body and we're definitely not controlling our tongue? So James is warning people and he's dealing with people at a level that everyone exists and deals with. We all sin. That's why if you're a Christian in the room today, I don't doubt that you have this problem. That's so why I spoke very directly to Christians about this issue, because we all have it. I've talked about mine, and I'll probably, maybe I'll say more about mine, but <laughs> let me just say this. I will only use mine to help illustrate that it's a problem we all have. That's exactly what James does here. He includes himself in this language. We are held to a greater standard. He sees himself as a teacher. We all stumble in many ways, very generally speaking about everyone 
We all sin like this. And what's true about what's happening for the teacher, this higher standard that everyone's judged with, or that teachers are judged with, implies and infers a standard by which everyone, every Christian, is judged with. See, he points out the higher standard. He assumes, though, that there's a standard for all Christians. Here's the thing. If you are a Christian, you will not escape judgment. If you are a Christian, you will stand, just, just like every non-believer, if you are a Christian, you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It will happen. Every one of us will be judged on what we have done. The Bible is clear about this. If your works are righteous works, those works will stand. If your words are righteous words, those words will stand. Now we know, and I'm I'm, I'm focusing in on a very specific thing. We know broader teaching of the scripture, though, says that that's not possible. I have no righteousness within me. I have no ability to produce righteous works on my own. I can't do that. How in the world am I going to do that? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The righteous works that come from faith will stand. When, God's, when we stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat, He will see our faith. Our works will prove our faith true. We will be justified before Christ by works that were driven by faith in Him. Now, I know that's confusing. I know it's difficult for us, for some of us, it's difficult to try to uh, uh, reconcile these ideas, but, but I, I found an article from John Piper back in 1989 uh, that speaks of Christians facing judgment. I, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want to read a part of it that I hope will bring some level of clarity for you. We must learn to make the biblical distinction between earning eternal life on the basis of works which the Bible does not teach, and receiving eternal life according to works, which the Bible does teach. Believers in Christ will stand before the judgment seat of God and will be accepted into eternal life on the basis of the shed blood of Jesus. But our free acceptance by grace through faith will be according to works. According to works, he goes on, according to works means God will take the fruit of the Spirit and the good deeds by which we let the light of our faith shine and he will accept these as corroborating evidence of our faith. This is why James says faith without works is dead. If there is no corroborating evidence in the way you live, if there is no righteous life after claiming faith in Christ and your faith is dead, He will accept them as corroborating evidence of our faith. Piper goes on, His sentence of acquittal will not be because we are not guilty. It will be because Christ bore our guilt. The place of our works at the judgment is to serve as corroborating evidence that we did indeed put our trust in Christ, that our faith is saving faith, in the words of James. Therefore, when we are acquitted... And welcome to the, into the kingdom. It will not be earned by works, but it will be according to works. There will be an accord or an agreement between our salvation and our works. Now he's making reference specifically to our works. And I showed you already that our words are simply just in part our works. But, 
But the same, so the same can be said about our words. If our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is a saving faith, it will produce both good works and good words. Saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if it is saving faith and not dead faith, will change the way you act and it will change the way you speak and you will have no fear in facing the judgment seat because when you say, I trusted in you, Jesus Christ, as my Savior, he'll say, you're innocent and look at the works that showed your righteousness. These works stand, so enter my rest. Brothers and sisters, here's the, here's the principle for this. We are responsible for our words and we will be held accountable. We are responsible for our words. We will be held accountable. Words matter. So watch your mouth. The next thing we see is in in verses 3 through 6, we see our words are disproportionately powerful to the effort required to produce them. Our words are disproportionately powerful to the effort required to produce them. It's really easy to say some things, isn't it? It's really easy to just get up and start speaking and teaching. Just throwing some stuff out there like, oh man, I read this once. I'll stand up here and just tell you what I think. Our words are powerful though. James uses three illustrations to show us that. A a, a rudder, I'm sorry, a bit in a horse's mouth, a rudder and a small fire. All of these small in contrast to what they actually produce. A a bit is small enough to fit in the mouth of a horse, but but by it you control the whole horse. You direct the horse where it goes. You you tame the horse so that you can produce work. You, You tame the horse so that you can travel with it. A rudder, the small, even hidden from sight. You can't even see it. Turns the whole ship. Even when the winds are blowing hard, the rudder will turn the whole ship. A small fire. The, the word actually, as I looked it up and was trying to figure out how, how small a fire he's talking about, I don't know why I was looking it up, but I looked it up. The word is t- one of the ways, a puny Fire. I think one translation uses the word spark. A spark left unchecked can destroy an awful lot of property. Two of these, obviously, can produce good results. I mean, we want ships with rudders, right? You ever gotten a ship without a rudder? I haven't either. I wouldn't. (laughs) I'd be making one if I did. You don't get on a horse and just hope that it'll take you where you want it to go. You don't just stick your horse out in the field and expect that he's going to pull the plow. Right? We, we want these things. We use these things. They're productive. They're helpful. But one, James demonstrates, clearly is destructive. Our words matter. They can either create or destroy. They, they can build up or tear down. They can help or they can hurt. They can be productive or destructive forces. In verse 10, he's going to point out that that with our mouths we can bless the Lord while we curse others. See, our our words can really do good things. But they can do some pretty destructive things as well. Our words can be productive. We we, We can speak productive, helpful words. And the thing that came to mind as I thought about that was uh, this, uh, this... 
passage is making me think a lot about the study of Ecclesiastes. And there was a point where we dealt with words. And the thing that came to mind was a a quote I shared with you from our study then. David Gibson wrote a book called Living Life Backwards. Uh, It was kind of an exposition of Ecclesiastes. And he's writing about how powerful words can be. And he highlights that. He illustrates that by saying this. Words of promise spoken in a wedding ceremony are not describing marriage or commenting on it. They're creating it. That's a drastic difference, isn't it? Something exists after their words have been spoken that did not exist beforehand. We can do some really good things with words. We can be very productive with them, very helpful. We can encourage, we can bless, we can, we can lift up. But not all our words are this productive. In fact, by nature, we're prone to use some very destructive words. In the same way that a marriage results from the speaking of words, a marriage can be ripped apart, absolutely destroyed by the speaking of words. And the Bible's full of examples of this. Gossip and flattery. Gossip is saying, this isn't me. I can't remember the first place I saw it. I was reminded of it this week as I read. Gossip is saying behind a man's, behind a person's back, what you would never say to his or her face. So gossip is about speaking behind someone's back. Flattery is saying to a person's face what you'd never say behind his or her back. Think about that. Empty, fruitless words. Gossip, what I say behind your back. Flattery, what I say to your face, but would never say behind your back. Foolish talk and crude joking, obscene talk. It doesn't benefit. It just adds, adds to the foolishness of people. It just, it just makes people dumber having heard what they heard. Leads people further away from Christ and His kingdom. Paul calls this out as he writes to the Ephesians in, in Ephesians 5, 3 through 4, but sexual immorality and purity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. That sounds pretty bad. I believe those don't have a place among the saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk. Wait a minute. Talk's the same as sexual immorality. It's on the same. Yeah. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place. Instead, let there be thanksgiving. How do we give thanks? Attitude of our hearts for sure. But how do you give thanks without saying thanks? Uh, Our words can be pretty destructive. Deceit, hypocrisy, and slander. Peter calls these out. I think it's pretty clear what they are. Deceit being a lie. Hypocrisy, saying something about yourself that's not true. Slander, saying something about someone else that's not true. 1 Peter 2, 1, writing to the church. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Three of five of those things deal with our mouth. Destructive words. Boasting, self-promotion. Jude, another brother of Jesus, wrote in Jude verse 16, These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. And, and, And one that I think we probably all would recognize pretty quickly, blasphemy. Speaking ill of the Lord, speaking non-truths about God. Jesus actually confronted people. We studied this in Luke. We're going to read a passage here in just a minute from Matthew where he confronts people who have said that his power is from the devil. 
He calls them out on blasphemy and the Holy Spirit. Has no place among us. So the list could go on. It, it is just brief. You, you could flip to, to nearly every letter in the New Testament and find them speaking to us, not just about the things we do, not just about the things we believe, but the things we say. Look, our words are powerful. Disproportionately powerful. What you say is really easy. Just breathe. Form your mind. I mean, it takes us like a year, two years to, to really understand how to do it. And then we're gaining a vocabulary all our life. But the actual effort to speak a word is nothing. What are your words doing once they've left your mouth? James says, watch out. Watch it. Because your tongues, by nature, your tongues are a fire. They are filled with deadly poison. Words matter. So watch your mouth. Verse 9 through 12 then shows us that our words reveal the truth about the nature of the heart of the one who speaks them. Our words reveal the truth about the nature of the heart of the one who speaks them. Every one of us sins. James has already called us all out on it. There's, no, there's none of us that can stand up here and say, nope, he's wrong about me. Well, that's a lie. So you just sinned and your tongue was the thing you used to do it. Our words are, are, are destructive. They, they reveal something about what's going on inside of us. And we can see this in, in those same three illustrations. If, if you look back at those three illustrations... The, the, the bit is just a simple tool that, that, that follows the will of the one guiding the horse. The rudder is simply a tool by which the, the, the man, the pilot, guides the ship. And sparks don't just come out of nowhere. I know, there's spontaneous combustion, but something happens to catalyze the fire. And James shows us, James shows us when he's speaking about that fire, where that all starts. Where does it start? Hell. Set on fire by hell. Now, this is not, a, not, not something we champion. Not something we run around waving flags about, getting excited about. But apart from Christ, we are enemies of God. We are agents of hell. You know why that fire burns so abundantly, even among the church? Because every person in here, even those of you who have a brand new nature, shining bright, that does righteous works and speaks righteous words, still has this old man fighting to live. An old dead man who will certainly die. But he's fighting. He's fighting to live and he, he likes to use your tongue. Because it doesn't take a lot of effort to do a lot of destruction. So James makes this point by showing us those illustrations and then jump down to the end of these verses and he shows us again that our words are simply an expression of what's going on inside of our hearts. 
In verse 10, he says, from the same mouth come blessing and curses, blessing and curses, my brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? What's the answer to that? No. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? No. Or or a grapevine produce figs? No. Neither can salt uh, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. It's not going to happen. These the, the nature of the thing determines what comes from it. This was Jesus' point when he faced the Pharisees as, as they attributed his power to the, to the devil. He makes this point in Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 37. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? The understood answer to that question is you can't. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment. Remember, we're responsible for our words. On the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they Speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Brothers and sisters, your words are either spoken out of faith in Christ, or they are spoken out of a dead faith that will leave you wanting at the day of judgment. Your words reveal what's really going on in your heart. So Jesus is making the point that what's true about a person's heart will be seen in what a person does. And it will be heard in what a person says. Words matter. Verse 10. A heart that's holding a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. How in the world can we at one point speak blessing to God and cursing Towards people. Let me just remind you of something from back in chapter 2. As, as James is working his way through chapter 2, he's talking about no, don't work partiality, and then he, he commends them, he calls them to fulfill the law, the royal law, the law of Christ. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then he comes down to passage where he's speaking about faith and works and he demonstrates through the illustrations that a faith a a saving faith will both serve God it will love God with its actions and it will love God or love God's people with its actions it will serve God's people selflessly with its actions our faith will lead us to act in such a way that we naturally obey his law He changes our nature. He makes us new so that we obey his royal law, loving God and loving people. And if it's true about our works, it's true about our words. This shouldn't be. We are duty bound as believers in Jesus Christ not to just hear about speaking good words, but to put it to practice. Not to just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And in this case, speakers of the word. If we are going to say that we have faith, then we must be able to expect from one another actions that love God and serve others and actions and, and I'm sorry, words that love God and love others. 
Words matter, brothers and sisters. They reveal the truth about the nature of our heart. And whether the saving faith or the faith that we profess is true or false. Or if it's saving or dead. Words matter. So watch your mouth. And I've just set for you a standard. It's impossible for you or for I to live up to. I have cursed people. I have cussed people. I've said your mama to plenty of people. Truth be told, there's sometimes I want to say it to you. No, I'm just kidding. Trying to lighten it up a little bit. James says in verse 7 through 8 that there's nobody, no man can tame this tongue. So why even try? Brothers and sisters, our only hope is the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. His words are true and they are filled with life. See, he's done what you and I can't do. Our problem is that none of us can control our tongue completely. That as mature as we get, this is going to be kind of the last frontier for us. Seems like James is getting at. As long as we live, we are going to have this struggle. We, we, we can do all kinds of things in the world. We can, we can tame all kinds of animals. I mean, if you can make a killer whale jump through a hoop, what can't you do as far as taming animals? But there is no taming the tongue because this is so closely connected to the dead man that has not yet died. So all we can do is quit trusting in ourselves. Quit thinking that there's something we can do to make and do it, do it to, to do it enough to become acceptable before Him. All we can do is trust in the One who's done it already, whose words were true, and whose words were filled with life. John six sixty eight. Simon Peter answered Him. Jesus is saying, "Who do you say that I?" Or, I'm sorry. This is that's a different different story, different time. Jesus has just talked about. Um, uh, that that you got to eat my blood and drink or eat my flesh and drink my blood to be my follower to 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 be saved by me to to know me and thousands of people leave and he's left with his apostles and he's like okay well, are you guys going to stay and Simon Peter answers him John six sixty eight Lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life. I'm talking about words that can produce something. That's power. It can make a dead man live forever. Later, Peter, writing in his letter to the church, makes reference to Jesus. He writes 1 Peter 2.22. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. His words were powerful. Because they would produce life. And his words were true. Never, not once, did he sin with his words. And so, we can either trust in ourselves, or we can trust in him.
when we trust in him, James says the expectation is that it changes what you do and it changes what you say. I'll never forget when I first noticed this desire, this new desire to speak good words came to light in my, in my life. I'd been a Christian for a number of years and man, I, was, I, I if you had looked at me in a snapshot of my life in this time, I, you, you would have thought there is no way if you'd listened to the words I spoke. <clears throat> You thought there's no way. But as God dealt with me and sanctified me and grew me, he changed me. He changed what I said and he changed what I did. I was still an aircraft mechanic at the time, working out at Worldwide Aircraft. It was the last place I worked before I was a pastor years and years ago. It was cold outside. Oh, man, it was a winter day. There's snow on the ground. We're moving around airplanes to thaw airplanes out. We've got to take them out of the hangar so we can put some in the hangar. And man, it just is cold. Well, it's got to be done, so we're out doing it, and I am the guy that's hooking the, the airplanes up to the, the tug. I'm using the tow bar. We hook the tow bar to the airplane, then we hook it to the tug, and I've been in and out. My hands are just froze. I mean, I am cold, and I, I, you know what it feels like to hit your hand when it's warm and normal. That hurts, but they were already hurting because how cold they were, and I smashed my finger across a solid metal tow bar hook against a tug, which is made out of quarter inch, or not quarter inch, half inch steel. I smashed my finger. Whoo, it hurt. I went to dancing. Like, you know, dancing like, oh gosh. They might have thought I needed to go to the bathroom. I don't know, but I was dancing all over the place. And we got finished, and I looked at my finger, finally realized it's not broke. Man, oh, it hurt. It's smart. It was throbbing. And the guy driving the tug says to me, wow, you have really changed. I was like, what do you mean? He said, just a year ago, you'd have been running around screaming and cussing. Wow. Trusting in Jesus was changing me. And it's still changing me. It didn't just change what I was doing. It would change what I would say. Brothers and sisters, as we practice our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, our words matter as much as our works. So watch your mouth. You're not going to get it perfect. I don't want to let you off the hook. But I want to call you to trust in the one who has. His name is Jesus. Let's pray.